0: Let's bow our heads to invite the Lord into our midst. Heavenly Father, a multitude has gathered in these mountains. Gathered for a week to be set apart from the world and to be set unto thee. We pray, Lord, that they will be blessed richly. We know, Father, that they will be because the blessings come from the Father above and not the servants that stand before them. Bless the teens that have left. Fill the brother that will minister unto them with a double portion of thy Spirit. And now, Lord, strengthen this thy servant. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is very weak. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear ones, something that you're not privy to is that I asked to be able to preach to this group and not the entire group which is a bit unusual for me as I was trying to reflect on the sermons that I preached here at Eastern Camp throughout the years they've always been sermons that I would view as more evangelistic reaching out to the lost, reaching out to the young people in particular. This sermon is different. The Lord began preparing me for this well over a year ago. And I had a conviction and, the, and I, I prayed, you know, Lord, if, if this was before last year's camp, if it's your will for me to deliver that message, the brothers would select me. And they didn't. And a young brother stood in this place last year and almost word for word shared the convictions that I had on my heart. And when he finished, he walked to the back of the auditorium here and and I I got up and I ran back to him to greet him, to encourage him. I said, brother, you preached the sermon that was going through my mind and in my heart. God wanted you to deliver that message and I said, you did. And I wanted to encourage him Because I knew that the evil one would not be happy. And it was not 24 hours before that young brother was criticized on Facebook. By members. The Lord wasn't finished with me yet. There were things he needed to reveal to me. So after camp, I had some responsibilities in Mansfield. I was asked to go talk to the youth group, and that kind of added into it. And then over the winter, I spent some time studying some of the kings of Israel. So most of our scriptures tonight will be found in the second book of Kings. The banner above me says, Who am I? I had to ask myself that question. Who am I? Really? Not who do I think I am, Who does God think I am? And then the next question that I I asked myself was, do I love the truth? And if so, how much? And then the next question I asked myself was, do I love my family? And how much? And the next question I had to ask myself was, do I love my church? And how much? I'm so thrilled to see the young couples, young parents with children. Maybe it's I'm a bit more fine-tuned in it since I'm a grandpa. And I see little boys, Silas and Ethan, who are just over a year old. And I wonder, what will they face? What will the world be like? What will the church be like? And as I thought on that last night and I watched young parents maneuvering strollers and and young couples walking in that don't have children yet and, and the Lord reminded me of a conversation that I overheard some years ago. Probably 13 years ago or more. Senior elder brother met a young brother that had just been baptized just before they were walking into the Sanctuary in his church. And he said, Young man, you are the first of the sixth generation in your family, first male of the sixth generation in your family to embrace this precious faith. With that comes great responsibility. I thought, wow, that's heavy. That's heavy. We're going to talk about a father, a grandfather, and a son. With the Lord's help, I'd like to begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 16. You don't have to follow with me if you don't want. I'm going to read 20 verses out of this Second uh, Kings chapter 16. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his sons to pass through the fire, according to the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places and on hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came unto Jerusalem to war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up again to Damascus and looked, and it carried and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest of the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the, workman, the workmanship thereof. And Urijah the priest built an altar according to the, all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the king's priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar. And the king approached the altar and offered thereon. And he burnt his burnt offerings and his meat offerings and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering with the burnt offering of the people and of the land and their meat offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the brazen altar shall be for, for me to inquire by. Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King, ah- King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the laver off them and took down the sea from the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon pavement of stones. And the covert of the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Hezekiah, I'm sorry, Ahaz, was the son of Jotham, a good king, a godly king. So we have to ask ourselves, what happened? What, What could happen that a son would choose to do such abominable things. You you say, wait, it really isn't that abominable. Yeah, it it really is. What we read here in 2 Kings, you may not get the exact flavor of what really was happening. You see, Ahaz wasn't happy with the way sacrifices should have been made. Ahaz wasn't happy that there were priests ordained by God to do certain things in certain ways in certain places. He wanted to worship God in his own way. He also decided that it probably would be good and wise if I would worship other gods or God in different formats to make sure that I cover all my bases. Ahaz was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. His palace was in Jerusalem. The kings of Israel had been much farther along in being evil, in doing things that didn't please the Lord. And there were battles that were waging, and all of a sudden, now Ahaz is faced with the fact that, you know what, I don't know if I can withstand the Syrians. So, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to become a vassal king under the control of the Assyrians. Because they were the most formidable force of the world at that time brutal warriors. And really, you should should look into some of the, the archaeological findings of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Because he wanted to painstakingly make details of all of the things that were transpiring in his kingdom. And there are historical accounts of all the things that we're going to read about today. So Ahaz realizes, you know what, I can't just go and to this king of Assyria and say, you know, look, we will be your subjects but protect us. I need to give them something. So he starts to dismantle the temple. He starts to take apart the very house that was built for the Lord and sends it off to Assyria. And when he's and then he is invited to come to Assyria and he ends up in Damascus and what does he find in Damascus? He finds an altar that he finds a bit more intriguing. So he sends word back to Jerusalem, to the priest, and he says, this is what I want you to build. I want you to build a different altar. I want you to build the kind of altar that that the Assyrians have. Oh, we'll still sacrifice to God, but we're going to do it on a little different altar. And when he comes back to Jerusalem, he's so excited, he offers the sacrifice. One by one, dear ones, he begins to walk away from what his father had taught him. Little by little, he gives in and gives up the identity that made him a child of David, the offspring of David. Something you may not realize when it says he made his children to pass through the fire, he sacrificed his sons. You see, and Brother Vic, he gave greetings from Jerusalem this morning, so he knows this layout far better than I do. But if I'm not mistaken, off the southern side of the city is the Valley of Hinnom. And in that valley was an idol whose name was Molech. And Ahaz sacrificed his sons, threw them into the mouth of the altar, burning their children alive. And you would say, well, how would anybody ever do that? Oh, well, I don't know if this is the rationale, but perhaps it might be our father Abraham was asked by God to offer up his only son, Isaac. So if we truly want to show God that we believe in him and that we want the best from him, how can we withhold even our own children from him? So we will sacrifice them. And you say, well, that's absurd. How could, you make that, how, could, how could anybody make that connection? Because it's made little by little over time. Remember what Satan said to our mother, the first, our first mother? Hath God really said? And I can honestly say that I could see in, in, in Ahaz's heart and his mind that he was being confused to think that he was still worshiping God. It was just a little different. Let's move on to Hezekiah, because I much prefer good stories over bad ones. In 2 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and brake the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not." We don't have time for me to keep reading, so I'm going to tell you some of the other things that you can find in 2 Kings, in 2 Chronicles, and in the book of Isaiah. I always thought Isaiah was just filled with prophecy. Tremendous amount of history can be found in the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah prophesied from Jerusalem. He knew Ahaz. He knew Hezekiah. And he knew the grandson, Manasseh. Somehow, somewhere, somebody got a hold of Hezekiah. I don't know who it was, but somebody did. Perhaps his mother. Perhaps his mother. Or a grandfather. I don't know. But someone got a hold of Hezekiah and said, You know what? This is not always what Jerusalem was like. There was a time when this city sat upon a hilltop and all nations feared it. There was a time when this nation was blessed. There was a time when the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple. A better time. A time of peace. Time of prosperity. Time when, when crops grew well. And when nations feared us. Because God was with us. And so Hezekiah purposed in his heart to seek after the Lord. He wanted to know what the law was. And he wanted to know why. And he wanted to know what the temple was supposed to look like. So Hezekiah purposed in his heart to return first himself and then his nation to their God. And he rebuilt the temple. Oh, and by the way, he rebelled against Assyria. He rebelled against Sennacherib's empire. Tribute is not going to be sent to Assyria anymore. Well, I wonder how long that's going to last, that they're going to allow that to happen. You see, the Assyrians were feared by everyone. They were brutal, ruthless warriors. They not only would overrun a city, but they would torture the noblemen that were there. So... Hezekiah, being a bright lad, said, you know, we need to do a couple things here. I know that we're restoring the religious side, the faith-based side of our nation. We need to shore up our defenses. So he began to rebuild cities that had been overrun, figuring that if I rebuild the cities in the outskirts of Judah, they can be my first shield of defense, defending The crown jewel, if you would call it that, the city of Jerusalem. At all costs, Jerusalem must be preserved. So they rebuilt the the, the walled cities. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. There was a problem. They could withstand a siege, but they had no water. But on the east side of Jerusalem is the Kidron Valley. And Brother Vic is nodding his head, so I'm right so far. And in the Kidron Valley was the spring of Gion. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. So any force that was going to come, any army that was going to come, if they approached from the east, they cut off the water. And you can't live very long without water. So Hezekiah purposed in his heart. And a tunnel was carved out of stone 1,777 feet into the city of Jerusalem from the spring in the Kidron Valley. And they covered the spring up. So you see, the opposing forces couldn't find the spring. They can't cut off the water. The water collected in an enlarged pool inside the city gates called the Pool of Siloam. And all of a sudden, history met the New Testament. And I was so excited. Not only was I excited about the the idea that you carved through 1,777 feet of stone with picks and chisels. Excuse me. No GPS, no engineering, no AutoCAD. They did it. How could they do it? Because God was with them. They didn't do it. Jehovah did it. He who has no name, they couldn't even call him by name. We call him Father. They couldn't. But God blessed them, and God blessed the rebuildings of the cities, and God blessed the buildings of the walls, and God blessed the crops, and the nation prospered. And we're going to think, great, that Hezekiah was on easy street. Wrong. Wrong. Hezekiah had another lesson to learn. And that was, I can't trust in riches, and I can't trust in my armies, and I can't trust my fortresses. So you see, after a while, the Assyrians were fed up with the fact that, Ahaz, that Hezekiah wasn't paying tribute. And they, became, they started moving. And Hezekiah knew this. You know, all of the the outpost cities, cities like Lachish, would send word as to what's happening. And the Assyrian army was mobilized. And they were moving their way toward Jerusalem. And they got to the outer fortress cities first. And one by one they fell. Because, you see, the Assyrians had battering rams. There was no stone wall that they could not come through. And the other thing they would do is they would build earthen ramps up against the stone walls, and their troops could march right over the top. And they were ruthless. They were brutal. And they did that to instill fear into all those that were in their path. And so the fortified cities fell, and they came to Jerusalem. And there was an emissary. I don't know exactly what his title was. And he begins to address the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the Hebrew tongue. And he says, look, Hezekiah trusted in all of these things. Hezekiah trusted that his God would protect you from all of these things. And he hasn't. You see, he hasn't. Look what's happening to Lachish. Look what happened to all the other fortified cities. You folks are dead men. Give up. Come out and surrender. What do you do? Doesn't do you any good to have water in the city if the enemy's in the city. So Hezekiah sent for Isaiah. He said, go find the prophet. See what he says. I'd like to read some verses out of Second Chronicles chapter twenty-eight. I'm sorry, I know it isn't. I wanna find I want to read in Isaiah. Excuse me, I gotta get my notes right. Isaiah thirty seven. Beginning with verse thirty three. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. Interesting that the Lord was even going to say, He's not going to use the weapons that He thinks He's going to use. He's not going to cast an embankment against it, He's not going to throw any arrows. It's not going to knock down the walls. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. That was the answer that came to Hezekiah. Now he has to believe it. There were 185,000 Assyrian troops in the valley outside the city walls. 185,000. And Hezekiah has to try to keep his his troops calm. They're on the walls looking out. They see this sea of people coming, sea of warriors coming. The 185,000 doesn't tell me how many horses and chariots were there. That probably was one of the longest nights of Hezekiah's life. Perhaps he continued to walk the walls of the city, calming the inhabitants. Verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians and hundred and fourscore and five thousand And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. That's the God that Hezekiah served. Hezekiah didn't need one horse. He didn't need one chariot. He didn't need one arrow. He didn't need one spear. He served he who has no name. And in one night, 185,000 Assyrians were dead men. And the battle was over. Oh, and Hezekiah didn't need his reinforced walls or his secure waterline into the city. Hezekiah had a son whose name was Manasseh. I'd like to continue reading in Second Kings, beginning with verse, with chapter twenty-one. Manasseh was twelve years old when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen when the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal. He made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. And he brought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Manasseh even went to the point of putting the idols in the house of the Lord. He went farther than his grandfather ever did. Oh yes, and he, he offered his son to Molech. How does this happen? How do we go from Hezekiah being so right, on the right track to Manasseh who lost everything. Tradition will also say that Manasseh had Isaiah sawn in half in a hollow tree. Don't know if it's true. Someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Isaiah that question. But can you imagine the king, the son of Hezekiah, getting to the point that he goes this far? And, and this is something I don't really understand, but maybe I'll be able to tie it together before I'm done, he served longer than any of the other kings. Longer than than Ahaz and Hezekiah. I didn't check other kings, but he served 50-some years. But I'll tell you how it's done. His dad died when he was young. And he didn't have a mother like Abby or a grandpa or a grandma that helped him. And others came. Others came sent by the evil one to begin to change the laws of the Lord. Little by little. Not all at once. Little by little. You know, these priests, these, those in authority that your father bowed down to, that's absurd. Why should the king of Judah bow down to anybody? He's the king of Judah. Yet your father humiliated himself and laid on the ground in front of these priests while they offered the sacrifices that he should have offered. Manasseh, who are you? Are you a king? Or are you a slave to this religious order that has all these rules? Oh, you might be right. I am a king. In my blood flows the blood of David. The beloved of God. Solomon was my great, 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 whatever grandpa. God intends me to offer the sacrifices. God intends me to... And all of a sudden... Little by little, the ways of the Lord were watered down, picked apart. And, you know, so these, the, this, this religious cult here called the high priests, this Levitical order, that's a bunch of hogwash. They don't want you to know what it's like if you really, you see, when they offer the sacrifices, they can experience a higher level of spirituality than you. They don't want you to know what God's really like. Oh, and by the way, the reason why you need to sacrifice your son is because our father Abraham did that. He showed us the way when God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son Isaac. Never bothering to tell Manasseh that guess what? He didn't sacrifice his son. God stopped him. God wanted to know, would you be willing to do it? And because Abraham believed that God was able to raise him from the dead, Abraham wasn't going to hold anything back from God. But God never intended for Abraham to slay his son. You see how easy it is, dear ones, to begin to believe a lie? Because somebody comes and says, you can achieve a higher level of spirituality if you do this. Forget the rules. The rules are constraining you. They're tying your hands together you aren't able to truly achieve a spiritual sense he also engaged in use of drugs to achieve a euphoric state oh and by the way god created adam and he created eve And he created them with passions and desires for each other so we could understand a little bit more about God. So in order for us to truly understand God in his fullest, we will put temples, booths on the temple mount, and we will fill them with prostitutes. And you can go and worship God by spending time with a prostitute. That's how far it goes, dear ones. But... God, you know, God should have just struck Manasseh down, struck him down with lightning, done something with him, sent wild lions, whatever. No, 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 that's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve. So what does God do? Well, the Assyrians are back, and they show up, and there's some amazing reading. I mean, if you like reading thrillers, you know, read... Second Kings, Second Chronicles, the book of Isaiah, read stuff from Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you know, they're all part of this same time. Manasseh is hauled off to Assyria with a hook in his nose, dragged before his people in shame and thrown into an Assyrian prison. Why? Because God wanted to punish him? No, not at all. God wanted to get Manasseh's attention. In Second Chronicles 33, beginning with verse 12. And when he was afflicted, was in affliction, he besought the Lord God humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him. He was entreated of him. And he heard his supplication. Manasseh repented. In that filthy Assyrian prison, whatever it was, when he probably couldn't even catch the rats to eat it, He came to himself and he remembered what his teachers had told him about Hezekiah and he remembered what his teachers had told him about Jehovah and about the Levites and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Now after this, he built a wall about the city of David on the west side of Gion in the valley even to the entering in of the fish gate and compassed about Ophel and raised it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah and he took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. He woke up and God had mercy because that's the God we serve. A God of mercy. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Imagine that. He was the reason it was in disrepair. He repaired it. He made sure that it was put back together. Sacrificed their own peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. That's what happened to Manasseh. He came to himself. And he found Grace. In the eyes of the Lord. Who am I? Really? Who are you? Really? Dear ones, we live in turbulent times. We live in perilous times. We live in the days that will cause men's souls to faint. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Who knows what, what, the future, what, there, what will be? Oh, he who has no name knows. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, Who are we? Are we the children of the Most High? Are we willing, as Joshua said, to put away the strange gods? Are we willing to put away the strange gods? There's times in my life when I say, I wish I didn't have Facebook because of what I see. But then I realize that even without Facebook, God sees everything. God sees everything. I said to my boss once, I said, you know, Dan, I really, I, I, I really, I, I don't think I can see, I can't, I don't want. And he goes, David, don't you need to know what's happening in the lives of your flock? Facebook gives you a glimpse into it. I didn't have the heart to tell him. I don't want to see it. But he who has no name sees it. Who are we really? Are we willing to put away the strange gods? As Joshua said. Are we willing to heed the advice of Jeremiah who said seek the old paths? Or are we so consumed with ourselves and with enjoyment and with, with, with with buying into the fallacy that the simple gospel of Jesus Christ is too restrictive, too old. And by the way, all of these doctrines that these people are preaching about are only confining us and not allowing us to embrace God in a higher level. My friend, my brother, my sister, if that's the thought process you're on now, you're going down the road of Manasseh. Because you see that old path, those old ways. And as I told the young people in Mansfield last summer, those 18 points of our statement of faith are part of our identity. Are you willing to give up precious things? Oh, you you may not be lost... What about your kids? What about your kids? Moms and dads, are we being mothers and fathers? Are we being the spiritual heads of our households? Are we telling our young people, you know what? There's a reason why we don't do these things. And I'm sorry, it's not your choice whether or not you do it. You live in my house, these are the rules, this is what it's going to be. But I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, I don't either. But dear ones, the smoke is rising in the valley of Hinnom. The drums of the priests of Molech are beating a thud constantly. And it's drowning out all the things we need to hear. If we do not become like Hezekiah, we might as well throw our children into Molech's mouth. Who are we? Who am I? There was a time when I really struggled and I got so worked up and I became so overburdened with worry for the church. For some of you, and then the Lord had to say to me, Why are you so worried? Why are you so worked up? Isaiah couldn't convince Manasseh. And you're a far cry from Manasseh, from Isaiah. I convinced Manasseh. And I convinced Hezekiah. And just like I sent others in the past, Your job is simply to say it and let me do the convincing. Last night as I sat during inspiration time, I thought of a song that I sang back at Massanetta Springs. Don't know if I got all the words right. It was an old-fashioned meeting in an old-fashioned place where some old-fashioned people had some old-fashioned grace. An old-fashioned conviction made the sinner pray. And the Lord heard and saved him in an old-fashioned way. If the Lord never changes with the fashions of men, if he's always the same, why, he's old-fashioned then. As an old-fashioned sinner saved by old-time grace, I am sure he will take me. To an old-fashioned place, may the Lord add His blessing to this word.
1: David asked me to uh, to find a hymn, and uh, as we were sitting before, I picked one, and then you sang. We sang it as our last hymn, and I hope David won't mind if I. Share just one thing. you wonder, does it make a difference? How well we hold on? I made an experience the other day when I was doing some work at church. We have uh, we, we've done some remodeling in Coconut Creek. We had some new carpet put in, and some thought, well, in front of the the door. It'd be nice to have some new tile. The old pink stuff really didn't go with the new carpet. So I propped both doors wide open, and I borrowed a power chisel, and I started chiseling off the old, uh, the old tile. I was a little bit disgruntled because the job that I had had that should have been paying me money that day had canceled, and I really wished I was doing something that would be a little bit more profitable. But as I was chipping away a car pulled up in our carport I thought oh here we go another Brazilian wanting to rent our church it's a common thing lady got out that looked quite Brazilian but she's not I don't know exactly where Marian comes from somewhere in the island somewhere and what she said just about knocked me over She said, I'm looking for a church that teaches the Bible. Do you study the Bible here? I said, yeah, we do, actually. took us a year and a half to get through Luke. She said, I go to a church where there are some very nice people who are very loving and very kind, They have very lively, very entertaining services. But they don't teach God's word anymore. They don't study it. I need to study God's word. I need to know God's word. I need somebody to teach me. Do you really study the Bible verse by verse? I said, come and see. She said to me, I'm looking for a church like the Church of Philadelphia. I said, come and see. And Marion started coming a couple of weeks ago, and we're thankful to have her at our Wednesday night Bible studies and on Sundays as well. The Lord wrote in Revelations chapter 3, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and have not defiled my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, behold, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation and shall, that shall come upon the world to try them that dwell therein. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take away thy crown. David said at the beginning, the young brother was told he had a great responsibility. You don't know the half of it. It's not just our children that are going to be lost and go to hell. It's a world that needs somebody to teach them God's word, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and to show them the love of Christ. And if he can't set an open door to our churches so that they can find it there, they will find it somewhere else. We have a great privilege and a great responsibility God is faithful, though, and I'd like to suggest that we sing from hymn 26, hymn number 26, the first two verses, please. Let's all rise for a closing prayer. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being able to be called Thy children and Thy servants. O oh Lord, grant that we might share not just the faithfulness that Thou hast given us, but to be able to share our faithfulness to Thee with These, our children, and our children's children, and with a world that desperately needs to be able to hear the truth. Our loving Savior asked the question before He left this earth, when I return, Shall I find faith, O God, grant that it might be found in us, in our children, and in our children's children, that we might be good and faithful stewards of all which Thou hast given us. Teach us, O God, who we are, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, called to be holy, a peculiar people who should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And grant, Lord, that while we live, we might be found faithful enough that when our doors are open, the world will be seeing an open door that you can send seeking souls through. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.